This should be a short message. It's only half a verse. This morning was only half a verse too. If that gives you any indication. Uh, well, it's only half a verse. However, we are going to talk about a, uh, a couple other passages. I'll say this. Um, I've heard back from three of our missionaries uh, that we took on this morning, and they're all excited. Uh, I called Brother Frank and went straight to his voicemail, so I, I sent him a message, and, and then I messaged the other, the other three there were three other ones that uh, that uh, we needed their their information so that we could send the uh, uh, send the checks. They were very happy to respond back quickly. I just got another one, brother. <laughs> uh, but uh, brother Frank called me back. He hadn't looked at his messages yet, and so it was good to. He, he's like, "Hey, what can I do for you?" And he goes, "Are you still all set for us to come come up there?" And he goes, "What what was that date?" I said, "I don't remember. I have to look, but it's on my phone, and I'm on the phone, so I can't look." And I said, but I wanted to let you know we need, we need an address to send support money to because the church voted to take you on. He said, well, praise the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, it just goes to show how much appreciation they have for those uh, that, that come alongside. And, and listen, when we, when we support with prayers, when we support uh, with finances, we have a part in the, in the work that they're, that they're doing. So praise the Lord for that. And I'm looking forward to see how God blesses. Uh, these those men and women of God as they're serving the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, we're only looking at, we're going to read all of verse 17 because while we're only talking about the one part of the armor, uh, there is a, an action word uh, in this passage, or in this verse, that refers to not just the first part of the armor, but the second part. But we'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse 17 says this, And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. God, I thank you for your Word and the impact that it has on our lives. Lord, the impact that it already has had, but Lord, also the impact that it continues to have. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to abide in your Word and your Word to abide in us. I pray, God, that you'd help us not only to read it and to understand it, but apply it to our lives, that you might sanctify us by your truth. Uh, Lord, that we could be more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, I pray that you would bless this time, give us understanding, that we might be able to to, uh, to defend ourselves against the attacks of uh, of Satan, Father. He he does attack us, Lord. And, and Father, your word is given to us as our defense. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Uh, Lord, that you, that, and Lord, that I pray that you would just be with us, strengthen us for the, for the battle ahead. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love the Word of God. And when I say that, I love it because it does so much for us. Uh, here, here we're, again, we're talking about this, uh, this being prepared for the day of battle because we know that we're in a spiritual battle. And it's not a spiritual battle that we're looking ahead to. It's a spiritual battle that we're in right now. And, and Paul wrote this more than centuries ago. Uh, right, uh, he wrote this uh, uh, two thousand years ago, uh, approximately. Uh, it's about seventy A.D. or so. Uh, this was written, but uh, uh, maybe a little bit before that. But he wrote this, uh, and it was good for them now, then, but it's also good for us now. Uh, the, the the information, the, the the armor that was good for them is also good for us. And uh, I, I thank the Lord that as He's talking to the church at Ephesus, and He's encouraged them in the previous 
chapters on how they're supposed to live. Uh, now he's saying, listen, you need to be able to protect yourself in, against the attack of the Satan because you're living in a spiritual warfare. And listen, it wasn't, a, a, and again, we, we know this, it wasn't a physical warfare. Uh, the, the, the weapons of their warfare were not carnal, uh, but mighty through God. They, they, they were spiritual weapons. Uh, the, 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 in the scripture, this verse, this this passage tells us that we are to take up the Word of God as our spiritual weapon. Uh, it says uh, it says there. And as, as I studied this out, as I prayed about it, the Lord showed me something here, and it was the first time I'd ever really seen it. It says, "Take the helmet of salvation," and then it says, "The sword of the Spirit." It doesn't say the sword of the Christian. I, as I begin to think about that, God does not put words together for, for no reason. It's just not haphazardly slapped together. He didn't just give it a name because it sounded cool. The sword of the Spirit, that should, that should excite the Christian to, to pick up the Bible. No, it's the sword of the Spirit because it had its origins in, in the Spirit of God. If you, if you look with me in a couple of verses, look over to first, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. Many of you could probably quote it. I could probably quote it, but I would rather read it so I don't mess it up. All Scripture is given by inspiration. The word there, inspiration, means God-breathed. It's given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We're going to come back to that passage, but go over to Second Peter chapter one, twenty-one. Chapter one, verse verse twenty-one. Uh, we'll look at verse twenty. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Those two, path, those two passages, uh, one written by Peter, one written by Paul, tells us exactly how the Word of God was given to us. It was given to us not by men, but by God. God used men to pen it down on paper, but God gave them the very words in which to write. It wasn't just that he gave them a thought. Uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't give them a thought that they were to figure it out. He gave them the very words. We believe in the plenary inspiration, meaning uh, every word is inspired by God. We also believe that God uh, not only inspired it, but God also protects it. And, and, and it, it, it's, it's inerrant. It's not, there's no mistakes. There's no, uh, there, there's no problems. There's no, uh, no lies in Scripture. It's all, uh, it's inerrant. There, there are no mistakes because it was given to us by the Word of God. But not only does it have its origin in the Word of God, it also has its power, sorry, its origin by the Spirit of God. It also gets its power from the Spirit of God. Uh, uh, Paul talks to the, the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn over there, uh, and he's talking to them about the, man, the great response that they had in, in the church of Thessalonica. Man, this is a church that you see in, in verse... Uh, Verse 6 says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Verse 7 says, So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sound out the word of the Lord on not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that 
we need not speak anything, for they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He's, man, it was, it was the perfect picture of what could happen in the life of, a, of someone who accepts the word of God as true and places their faith in Jesus Christ. They, they, they became followers of, of the apostles and of Christ. They, they then became examples unto others. And man, everybody knew their testimony. And because from them sounded out the word of God. They, 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 not, they not only shared their testimony of what God did, but they told people why they did it, why they turned from the idols, and why they were looking for Jesus to come back. They, they, they were the perfect examples of what should happen in the life of every Christian. But you know why that happened? Because in verse 5 it says, for our gospel, meaning Paul's and, and those that were with him, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Man, you can preach the word without the power of the Holy Spirit, and guess what? Nothing will happen. There should be an emphasis on the word of God, but we need to understand that the sharpness of the sword doesn't come because of the eloquence of the person preaching it. It has nothing to do with the man behind the pulpit other than the fact that whether or not he's filled with the spirit of God, whether or not he's submitted to the spirit of God, because you can have the greatest preacher get up and preach and nobody moves. And listen, it's not about it's uh, it's 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 not about the ability to to, to bring about emotion. It's not about the, the my ability to to get give you understanding. It isn't me that gives understanding. First John teaches us that the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, He's the one that gives you the understanding. So so it's it has to do with the Spirit of God. So it's uh, the origin of the, this sword is the Spirit and the power and the, the devastation. When I say devastation, I mean its ability to to cut you, to wound you. you. Say, well, that doesn't sound like fun. It isn't fun. Have you ever been under conviction before? It ain't a lot of fun. Uh, but the end result of of the wounding of the uh, of your of, of your of your spirit, the wounding of, of of your soul, is the fact that you your heart might be pricked, and and through the the wounding you might be have brought about healing. Because the same spirit that can wound you through the word can also give you life, and I, I praise God so much for that. So so as I, as I read that in Ephesians, it says. It's the sword of the Spirit. It tells us where it came from. It's, it, it, the Word of God comes from the Spirit, and that's where it gets its power. But there are a couple of words here, that, again, that, that, that we need to make sure we understand. Now, when I think of a sword, when I think of a Roman sword, I think of a, like a, a long, broad sword. In fact, I think of the two-edged sword that you hear about in Hebrews. Uh, the, the Word of God is, 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 is quick. And sharper than any two-edged sword, that is not the same sword that it's talking about. There are a couple different types of swords. That that type of sword is more what you would what we might call a claymore. It's a it's a very large two-handed sword. But what's supposed to be in my other hand? A shield, a faith. You can't handle a two-handed sword with one hand. It's just too heavy. The word here, the, the, the Greek word is, is makaira. 
and it means a short sword. They have, actually have a good picture of it right there. It's, it's the, the short sword. It was a general sword, that uh, type of sword that was used uh, by the Roman army. It's the same words used when Peter says that Peter cut off the ear of the, of the, of the servant, Machaira. He cut it off with a short sword. If he had had one of those double-handed swords, he would have cleaved him not just the ear, but from, from his ear all the way down to his toes. He'd have been cut in two, and Jesus would have had to perform a much greater miracle <laughs> than just putting the ear back on. Uh, it would have been one of those things like, wow, that's amazing. Look what he did. I mean, it's amazing that he put his ear back on. But but every almost every time you see the word makaira or see the word sword or, or knife, it's talking about that, this. It's important to understand why the, why it's it's the common sword. It's meant for every man. It's it, it's it, it is sharp. It's meant for hand on hand or hand to hand combat. Not from riding on a horse or anything else. It's meant for one on one. Combat. Now, everything else we've looked at, for the most part, has been defensive. But a sword is not only defensive, it's also offensive. We'll, we'll get to, to, to how spiritually that works in, in a moment. But for every time somebody swings a sword at you, it isn't so much that you block the sword, block the blow, but you parry the blow. If you know anything about sword fighting, they thought they, they teach you not to use a whole lot of movement, but you, and I'm not a swordsman of any kind anyways, but I read enough of it that you would parry the blow just so that it misses you because you don't want to get cut, but your next movement is to, to cut. It, it, it's, it's, everything is done very specifically. You don't just run around waving a sword above your head trying to kill somebody. You'll end up hurting yourself. There's a purpose behind it all. Now, so we know that it's, that it's the word Machaira. It's talking about that short common sword. There's another word that we need to look at here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. It says, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, when you think of the, the word of God, what do you think of? I'll tell you what I always thought of. This. There is a lot in this book. I mean, you know what I've always thought it meant? people over the head with the Bible. No, I'm kidding. No, you're not supposed to beat anybody over the head with the Bible. But it doesn't mean this. See, there's there's a couple different words used for the word word. The one that's used mostly is the word logos. And that's talking about the whole word of God. But the word used here is not logos. It's rima. And it means an, an utterance. Or a specific statement. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Why would it be different? But then I began to think about it and really meditate on it. Ask God to, to help me to understand this. And you know what I found? We don't use the whole of the word of We're not to use the whole of the word of God to, to defend ourselves. We can't. How many of you know everything that's in scripture? Me either. I'm thankful I have all of Scripture, and I'm supposed to preach uh, the whole counsel of God. And there's a reason that we teach that, because uh, there's a reason that, 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 that my desire is to, to preach the whole. Because at some point or another, you're going to need this, or you're going to need that. And, and there's a reason why you don't just depend upon what I preach. There's a reason why you're to study to show yourself approved, and the God of work with it needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, so that you can have it for yourself, not just have it because I said it or taught it. 
Now, those things are to, to come together to help us all to mature and to grow. In fact, Second Timothy 3.16 is given to us for that specific reason. It gives us the doctrine. It, it gives us reproof. It gives us correction and instruction so that we can all be equipped and perfected and mature as, as Christians. But what it's saying there, and I'm going to give you an illustration here in a minute, is that for us to defend against the attacks of the devil, we need to be able to defend against specific attacks. Because Satan does not attack us broadly. He knows where our weaknesses are. He doesn't come along and, and say, aha, and throw everything at you. He, finds where, he knows where your weakness is, and that's where he attacks. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. And listen, he does, he's always done the same thing in the same way. But Matthew chapter 4, we see him, this morning we talked about how he deceived Eve. Today we're going to talk about how he attacked, attempted Jesus this afternoon. Matthew chapter 4, this is verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit up into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. I don't know about you. But if I hadn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights, I fasted for a week before, and I was exhausted, and I was starving. I, 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 I left the place. It was, a prayer, it was a prayer camp. I left that place, and I stopped at the first fast food place I could because <laughs> I was hungry. And it was, it was Dunkin' Donuts, and I had a breakfast sandwich because I was really hungry. But listen, I, I, I don't know. I can tell you that's a weakness if, if, if you're hungry. So, so here we see it says Satan in verse 3 when he and when the tempter that Satan came to him he said to Jesus if thou be that the son of God command that these stones be made bread now how did how was its attack Satan knew what the weakness was he didn't come along and 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 throw some curveball at him or 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 just throw a bunch of temptations at him he didn't bring along some, uh, he didn't see a, a naked woman in the wilderness. He didn't see uh, uh, something that could have, uh, some other temptation. He tempted him where he was weak. He was hungry. You know what he was tempting him? God hasn't taken care of you very well, has he? You're hungry. He brought you out here to starve for the last 40 days. If you're the son of God, why don't you just make yourself some bread? There's a stone. You can do it, Right? A very specific temptation. A very spe specific uh, uh, temptation that Satan had for him. But notice how Jesus responds. We see it here in verse, uh, in verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. How did he answer Satan? By saying, It is written. He was quoting to him a passage of scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look back there with me if you would. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verse 3 it says this, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. 
He's reminding Satan, listen, this is the exact same thing that happened to the people of Israel. And they were tempted, and they complained, and they said, well, God, hasn't, God, has brought out, God brought us out here to starve. And God gave them manna, and they did not trust God. He said, and he, re- he reminded of them by, by giving him the exact scripture that answered the temptation that Satan had given him. He didn't say, well, the Bible, God promised that I'll not be tempted beyond what I'm able. He said, this is what God said. This is what God said. The, the man isn't just to live by bread. God's provision is enough. Always has been and always will be. He shared the scripture. Look with me to Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse 5. So then the devil take them up into the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written... That's what he's doing here. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. He said, listen, if you are the son of God, the Bible says, what's he doing? He's twisting scripture. He's causing, he's, he's trying to get Jesus to doubt the word. He says, eh, to, to question the word and to question. Eh, he says, listen, if you want people to know your God, just throw yourself off. What does Jesus say? Verse 6. And saith unto him, if thou be the Son of God, cast yourself down. Look over verse 7. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, here's a question. What verse is he talking about? It's found back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Verse 16 says this, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Remember, the Old Testament is given to us that we might learn from the people of Israel. What happened at Massa? The people were thirsty. They said, God brought us out here to die. How how can we know that he's God? He brought us out here to die. And God told Moses to to, uh, go and speak to the stone, or to strike the stone. And he went out, and he spoke to the stone, and the people were, were taken care of. And he goes on to say in the next verses that he said not to, that this happened... It was Massa. They were trying to tempt God. Just like Jesus was being tempted to tempt God by throwing himself off the pinnacle. Again, it's a very specific response to the temptation. It's not just a general response that I shouldn't sin. It's very specific. The last one we see here in Matthew chapter 4, we see in uh, verse 8 through 11, it says this, Again, the devil take them up into the exceeding high mountain, and, and or exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdom of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Satan says, all you got to do is bow down and I'll give all of this to you. 
And Jesus again responds with scripture. Satan tempted Jesus in the same way he tempted Eve. God's goodness, God's providence, and God's plan. God's goodness, God's provision, and God's plan, sorry. Here he's saying, listen, God's, the Father's plan for you is to die on a cross. You can have all this without dying. You just have to kneel. Again, Jesus' response was, was, was quoting scripture. It's, it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It says this in verse 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord God and shalt serve him and shalt swear by his name. Listen, we're not to, he, he brought along a specific scripture to deal with a specific temptation. So when we talk about this sword of the spirit, that is, is, which is the, the, the specific word of God that we're to, to deal with, what it's talking about is we need to be prepared with the specific scriptures to, to, to be able to prepare ourselves against the, the specific attacks that Satan has for us. You know what that means we need to do? Study to show thyself approved unto God. We need to know the, the, the word of God to be able to defend ourselves against the, the, the attacks of the devil. So that when Satan comes along with doubt in your mind, you have the word of God to bring forth and fight against that, 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 that doubt that Satan puts in you. If, you have, if he brings fear into your heart or, or, or this temptation into you, you need to have the scripture on hand that you might be able to have it brought back to memory so that you can defend yourself against the specific attack of the devil. That's exactly what Jesus did. And he is our perfect example. Jesus never sinned. He was he's spotless. He was sinless. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He fulfilled the law. He didn't break it. And if we're going to find ourselves in a place when, where, where we can defend ourselves against his attacks and listen, they will come. In fact, they come on a daily basis. We need, we need to be prepared. So how do we do that? First, have a daily reading schedule where you're reading the Word of God. Listen, it, it amazes me sometimes the verses that I never intended to memorize, verses that I only read once or twice or three or four times, and, and it's been a while, and, and man, that verse will come to mind. I'm like, how does that happen? What is me and my great memory? My, my family can tell you that. It, it, it comes from the Spirit of God bringing to memory those things that I've read. We need to have a daily reading schedule. I'm not saying you have to read 60 chapters a day or even 20 chapters a day. I'm not telling you what, how much you need to read. I'm telling you that we need to read on a daily basis. But I'll take it one step further. We need to memorize Scripture. Well, I'm getting old and I don't memorize very good. Neither do I. But the Word of God says, hide God's Word in, my, in thine heart, that I might not sin against God. There's a reason that we memorize Scripture, so that when those times come that we can rely upon the, the promises. We, can, we, we have those things in our, not just, the Bible says, write them upon the tablets of the heart, to hang them in front of their eyes. To, there, there's so much that, we, that tells us to do so that, that we don't walk from the left to the right. We need to read it, and we need to memorize it. We also need to study it. See, you want us to do all of that? Yes. Because, honestly, for us as Christians, it's everything. The Word of God is everything. It's how God sanctifies us. It's how God cleanses us. It, it, it's, it's how God equips us as the children of God. 
It's not there just uh, for us to carry around in a scabbard. You know that's what you do with a, a sword? If you see, unless you're in a battle, that's, you know where that sword normally lies? In a scabbard. Wrapped and protected so you don't cut yourself. Or somebody else. But the problem is, the battle isn't tomorrow. In fact, we don't ever know when the attack is going to come. In fact, verse 17 starts with, take. I mean, I mean, the, word, the Greek word means to take up, to put to use. It's to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Too many times we've got everything else on, but we've got that sword in the scabbard. I'm, I'll be ready when it's time. I don't really need to study it. I don't really need. I don't need to keep it sharp. I don't need to. I don't need to keep it ready. Listen, it, it it's sharp not because of you, but because of the spirit. But it, it's only sharp and powerful unless you're full of the spirit. Now I, I thank the Lord that the word of God does not come back void, meaning it, it, it always accomplishes what God would have it to. And and even if I am not on the top of my game, even if I, I, spiritually I, I am weak, God can still take the word of God and work in somebody's heart. But that's because God's working, not because of me. But it's still my job to be ready. It's still my job to be ready. John MacArthur, in speaking of studying the Word of God, recounts a story of a, man, a professor who was looking out of his window, and he watched this butterfly flying around, and they call it flitting from flower to flower. Uh, you know how a butterfly will land quickly and then just take off again? Uh, I, I guess that's called flitting. I don't know. Uh, Flitting, fleeting, whatever it is. It's, but it was going from flower to flower, never spending any time on anyone, uh, never really just landing there, just to sun itself for a second and then to take off again. Later on, he saw a, 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 a botanist looking at the same flowers, according to the story. The guy has a notebook, studying the flowers closely, taking all kinds of notes, stuck that notebook under his arm, and left hours later, having all kinds of new information. And then he saw a bee landing on the flowers. And the bee would land and wouldn't be there forever, but long enough to fill up. Bees collect pollen. They, they take that pollen back to uh, their hive where honey is made. And they generate that honey from the pollen that's, that, that, they, that they eat and off, uh, eat and gather with every, with every flower. And he says, people, there are many Christians or people that, that, st that are like that with the Word of God. Some are like the butterfly. They'll, they, they flit and fleet from sermon to sermon or from Bible reading to Bible reading, never gaining anything other than saying, oh, that was a good sermon and that was, that was a nice verse and I really like that, but never really gaining any strength or, or, or nurturing from it. Others are like the botanist where they study and, man, they get a lot of knowledge about what it says, but never really any practical application. He says, but we as Christians need to be like the, the bee where we, where we land upon the word of God, gathering as much as we can and leave, coming in empty and leaving filled. 
filled by allowing the Word of God to to work in us and uh, ingesting it, uh, mulling over it, meditating upon it, and allowing that that to bring growth and, and, and equipping in our life. Yeah, we 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 need that. We 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 need to study it. Yes, we need to know it. Yes, we need to apply it. More importantly than anything else, because it doesn't do any good to know what it says if we never do anything with it. If we're never obedient to it, if it if it, if it applies to everybody else but us, we need to know the Word of God. We need to study it. We need to defend against Satan's attacks. And listen, through the word of God and the spirit of God, and the two are tied together so tightly that you, uh, listen, in Colossians chapter, I mentioned this before, Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And it goes down through in how the word affects our Christian life. Ephesians 5.18 says, the word to be not to be drunk with wine, but filled with the spirit. And then it goes down through a list of, uh, of things that will happen in our lives if we're filled with the spirit. And you combine the two and they're identical identical because the word of God and the spirit of God work in tandem God the spirit of God can work in you and 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 change you and transform you and renew you but it does that with the as the spirit of God works in you and you're you're submissive to it did you know that in, in, in James it says that we can resist the devil and he will flee from us I love that passage of Scripture because it tells me that I can have victory. But you know what it says before uh, to resist the devil? It says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We, we like to ignore that first part about submitting ourselves to God, which would also mean being submitted to his word and to his spirit. And just one of the whole resist the devil. I'm sorry, but what that's doing is as Satan comes in with his specific attack, you're just standing there going like this. And you're not protecting yourself at all. We need to know the word, the specific word, and how to defend ourselves against those attacks. I mentioned the word of God is, is a defensive weapon, the, the sword of the spirit, but it's also an offensive weapon. And, and, and I am so thankful because as Christians, we don't need to live our lives on defense. Too many times we do. We'll sit here and say, I'm going to stand and I'm not going to move and you're, you can't make me move. And listen, that, that's great. But the Bible said the gates of hell should not prevail against the church. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen an army take their gates with them when they go to attack you. So what's that mean? That the church is going to prevail against the gates of hell. Well, how do we do that? By thinning the ranks of those that go inside. By stopping a few of them. Turn over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. This is a passage that many of us know. A parable that Jesus is telling. And he, 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 he's, I'm in Mark, hold on a second. He tells the parable and then later on in the chapter he explains it. But I believe this shows us that the offense of the word of God. Verse 1 says, The same day when Jesus sat of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole, whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Here it is, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. 
And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came by and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, but other fell under good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. Later on in this same chapter, he goes on to explain. Verse 18 says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. The first thing we need to understand is there is a sower. You know who the sower is? The person on the offense. Because in his hand he holds the sword, or the seed, which is the word of God. And the Bible, Jesus described here that, that he sows some on the wayside. And, and it says that there are those that, that, that hear it, that understand it not. They don't, they've heard the gospel. You could be preaching, preaching this up to your neighbor. You could be sharing the gospel with a family member or a friend. But they don't have an understanding of the word of God. And Satan, because he is busy, because his desire is to stop the, 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 uh, the, any type of, of growth of the word of God in their hearts, he comes along and he steals it away. Now, I don't know how he does it or why he does it. It could be done in many different ways, but somehow they forgot what they've heard. Now, they never really understood it, but they heard the gospel. Remember, there's power in the gospel, especially according to First, uh, second, uh, first Thessalonians chapter 2, when you receive it as, as it is in truth, the word of God, because then it changes you. So, so they, 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 the, the sower has come along, and he's sowed the seed, and Satan has come along and stolen it away. The second we see here, and we see it in verse uh, verse. Uh, 20. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and Anon with joy received it, receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth or endureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Here's another uh, another area in which the, the, the seed has been sown. It's a rocky place, a stony place. And there's not there's not place for much dirt or growth or, or for any type, type of root. And while he receives the gospel with joy, there is understanding there. He never fully, by faith, trusts it. And somewhere along the line, some, the sun shines down upon him, or there's some other, there's, there's some other uh, tribulation that comes along in his life. And whatever understanding he had dies away. It's Satan that brings those tribulations into those people's lives, by the way. You know why? Because he doesn't want them to believe. 
He does, listen, the sower goes forth to sow, and he sows everywhere. Satan is doing his very, his dead level best to stop people from getting saved, to keep people from trusting in Christ. And here, he's found somebody with a, uh, that doesn't have any depth to, 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 of, any depth of faith, uh, maybe a head knowledge, uh, but as soon as something comes along in their life, man, they're gone. And we've seen that here. You see it in churches all across the country. It happens all across the world, but in America especially, because here it's so easy to have a knowledge without faith. Because in other countries, that persecution comes right along. You lose your job. Your family won't talk to you. Those types of things. And listen, that weeds out that, that faithless understanding very quickly. All that persecution is from Satan, by the way. Satan, Satan uses that to, to kill any chance. He doesn't want them to, to, to come to the point of faith. He just wants it to die out. Thirdly, we see the, the, the third one. It talks about it here in verse uh, 22. He also received among the thorns. As he that heareth the word and, and the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he become unfruitful. Uh, it's just, uh, there's, there's again, there's, there's knowledge. Uh, there's, uh, there's never any fruit. Uh, but the things of this world uh, have, uh, have choked out the word of God, and we see that here. My goodness, uh, and again, not just here in our church, but in, in, our, in our country where, where the world and the, the love of the world creeps in. And you, you see it in the, in when G, that man came to Jesus, and Jesus said, hey, just go sell all that you have and come, come back to me and follow me. He didn't say it because the, by selling all he had, he gained salvation. He said that because he knew that was the one thing he couldn't do. He loved the things that he had. He loved the wealth that he had. And that... The thorns, the desires of the world crept in, and man, there was no fruit. There was no, there was no death. There's no growth. There's no faith. Says so he went away sorrowful. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll add this: Jesus didn't chase him. Sometimes, I think we spend a lot of time chasing those with no, with no, with no real faith, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't witness to them. It doesn't mean we shouldn't love them, but we. We, we try to talk them into salvation when there's no salvation there. And that could be done for many number of reasons. And I, we can't see their hearts. But we can see whether or not see fruit. And the Bible says, you shall know them by the fruit. Again, it was, it was Satan that, that worked in their life and used the, the, their, their weakness of, of the love of the world to, to, to choke out any, any growth of the word. But lastly, what do we see? That which fell upon good ground. Verse 23 says, But he that receiveth the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, and some sixty, and some thirty. Uh, uh, they, they hear it, they have understanding of it, God has opened up their eyes, and they have faith, because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Right? So they, they have faith, they, they, they've trusted in Christ, and Yes, there's a difference in their spiritual growth. Some, some had fruit that was 30-fold, some 60, some 80, or 100-fold. But, but, the, but, there, but there is spiritual growth. What is that? That's victory. You can call it what you want, but that's a soul that Satan will never have. 
He may steal the seed from those that don't understand it. He may he may find those with the weakness of a love of the world that can't get over it. He may find those that and and, and, and ruin those that never really have any root uh, to, to, to their understanding of the the, knowledge, the word of God. But what he can't do is take away someone's salvation. And the greatest thing that we can do is to get the word out. You may spread it in some of those places where nobody will hear it or believe it or understand it. You may have some that they come to church and then disappear. You may have some that they come to church and then they allow the things of the world to draw them away. And there's never any faith. John said that they went out from us because they were not of us. But there will be some. There will be some that the word of God will plant, upon, plant in their hearts. That they'll have an understanding of, of the gospel and what Christ did for them. And they'll come to Christ in faith. You know what I prayed this morning in my office? That God might please bring to somebody. They had a desire to hear the word. And they might get saved, didn't I, brother? At the end of the morning's message... One hand went up, and you know what happened? In my heart, victory! From all accounts, she didn't get saved, but guess what? She heard, and she's seeking. She acknowledges and knows that she needs salvation, and she's just not quite there yet. So you know what we do? We pray, and we keep planting the seed. And we keep watering the seed, because the Bible says, some plant and some water, but God brings forth the increase. And when that increase comes, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We understand that, that God did it all. It didn't have nothing to do with my preaching. It didn't really even have anything to do with my praying. It had to do with the word of God and the seed being planted because God brought her here. God gave me the message. God did all the work. But praise God for it that he might deem us useful enough and while we stand and fight and, and Satan attacks us, let's defend ourselves. But don't just live a, a life in defense. Live a life on offense and do the best that we can to get the gospel out. And whether we have to call people or message them on Facebook or, 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 or show up at their doorstep, it doesn't matter. Make up a plate of cookies and go to your neighbor's house. Whatever you got to do, go with the gospel. Next week, we're going to finish up the series. This series, I don't know how many weeks it's been now, three, three weeks now, Sunday mornings. We'll be, we'll be finished in the morning, I think. We'll see how long the message goes, I guess. But we'll be talking about the battle that we're fighting, and that battle is fought on our knees. Because while we can wear the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation, and, and we can use the shield of faith and the, our feet shine the preparation of, of the gospel of peace, every battle is fought in prayer. You will not have victory without it. I preached a message a while back on a strong man. And if you're going to break into the strong man's house, first you must bind the strong man. How do we bind the strong man? Or who is the strong man? It's Satan. How do we bind him? Through prayer. If we're going to do anything in this world, we need to do it through prayer. That's how this battle's fought. Christ already won it. Let's fight it. Father God, I thank you for this day. 
Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Help us to use it, Father, and, uh, as we as we defend ourselves against Satan's uh, temptations and attacks. Lord, I'm so thankful for the, the armor that you've given to us, so thankful for the word that you've given to us. Help us to go out of here, Lord, with a, with a, a heart uh, set for the not just the defense of the gospel, but the furtherance of the gospel. God, I pray that you'd help us to go out and share that with, with others, Lord, that we might see people saved. God, I, I, I'm praying and asking, Father, for your help because we need it. Lord, not worthy of it. Lord, I'm only worthy to pray because of Christ, Father, because of what he did. Lord, not because of, of who I am or what we are, but God, you, you told us to come boldly before your throne uh, in time of need. And Lord, this is a time of need. Lord, we need revival. Lord, we need to be stirred up. God, we need your help. Help us, oh God, please. We pray that our, our hearts and our spirits are tender to your, to your word, your will, and your ways. Lord, may, may you work in us. Lord, convict us if we need it. But God, I pray that you equip us uh, for the job ahead. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.